0: Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you know, for the past two weeks, I've been talking about the subject of miracles. And one of the books I've referenced is actually a two-volume set by Dr. Craig Keener called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. This is absolutely a phenomenal work of scholarship that can be understood by anybody. And it's been on my shelf for several years. Uh, Dr. Keener, I think, uh, put this book out in about 2011. And it, w- it was so daunting to me to try and go through a 1,100-page book that I put it off and put it off. And I finally said, look, I really need to read this. This is the standard work on the topic. In fact, Dr. Craig Evans, whom we'll have on the program next week, he's an archaeologist, says this about this book. Craig Keener has written arguably the best book ever on the subject of miracles. Now, that's saying a lot right there. And I think he's right about it. And I said, I wanted to have Dr. Keener on, and he's on with us today. Now, a little background on Dr. Keener. He has his PhD from Duke University, and he's a professor of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. He's the author of several books, including a book that, in addition to miracles you need to have, you need to have a book called The IVP Background Bible Commentary of the New Testament, Dr. Keener has gone through every verse in the New Testament, and he gives you background on every verse. So he is a true scholar. He's also written a, a legendary commentary on the book of Acts. I can't remember how long it is, but it's it's quite long. And so it's always, a, it's, a, it's a great privilege to have Dr. Craig Keener on. Craig, how are you?
2: I, I am doing great, especially now that I get to talk with you.
1: Well, <laughs> the honor's all mine, sir. Now, you have written just some phenomenal works, and... Before we get into the miracles book, can you kind of give us, you know, a two-minute overview of your testimony? Because I, I I I remember seeing you say that you were an atheist growing up, and I think you were reading Plato, and you were you were you were a very a very interested young man in in truth. How did you become a Christian?
2: Well, yeah, I I was an atheist, a completely naturalistic worldview, and when I was reading Plato, he asked things about the immortality of the soul, he raised good questions. I didn't think the way he argued for the answers was, was persuasive, but it got me really thinking about my finitude, my mortality, and opened me up so that I actually started saying, God or whatever, if you're out there and if you care, please show me. And one day, some people brought me the gospel on the street. I, I argued with them for 45 minutes and walked away so convicted by the Holy Spirit that, um, to make a long story short, that later that day, I became a Christian. I um, wasn't exactly sure if I did it right. <laughs> I walked into a church a couple of days later, and the pastor led me in, the, in, in prayer to commit my life to Christ. And, but that was the beginning of my, of my Christian life.
1: Now, I heard you say um, in an interview that this two-volume Miracles book, which is over 1,100 pages long, including all the notes, actually started as a footnote in your commentary on the Book of Acts. Explain how that happened.
2: Well, I I was dealing with uh, the historical reliability question of Acts. You know, its it's genre is historical monograph, and so historical reliability is, is a big issue. So one of the main objections people raised against the reliability of acts or the reliability of the gospels was that they have so many accounts of miracles. I mean, like about one fifth of the book of acts deals with miracles or exorcisms and about one third of Mark's narrative deals with, with that. So it's a big issue in the the new Testament. And some people would just say, well, eyewitnesses never claim these kind of things. So, I was just going to have a footnote showing that, yeah, here are some books that cite a large number of eyewitnesses who report these kind of things. And yes, eyewitnesses do report these kind of things, but initially I didn't find what I was looking for. And so I just kept adding more and more sources and the footnote kept getting longer and longer. And it eventually became a chapter in the, in the introduction of the acts commentary. And there's still a chapter uh, there, in the Acts commentary, but it got so long I I asked the publisher if I could do it as a separate book, and it was about 200 pages at the time I asked them, and of course it grew to 1100 and would be getting longer if I hadn't finally finished it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you must uh, in this two-volume miracle set. We're talking to Dr. Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R. You must uh, have more than. I don't know, two or 300 miracle accounts in this book. I don't even know how many, I don't even, you know how many, but how did you track down the evidence for so many miracles? I mean, it's, it's Craig, it's, how do you even have the context, the the contacts to know about these things? <laughs> uh,
2: you know, and these are just samples. These are uh-huh. samples because of the context that I had. Well, the ones that I interviewed are samples. And the ones that I found in other, other books also are, are just samples there was a Pew survey done in 2006, and it indicates that there are hundreds of millions of, of Christians in the world who claim to have witnessed divine healing. And th- those don't even include, or, or at least don't well, know, they don't even include uh, some of the other countries. It was just 10, 10 countries that they surveyed. But in places like China and Nepal, where you... Ask how many people were converted. So these are people not coming from Christian presuppositions, but, but how many people were converted from non Christian backgrounds because of experiences with healings that were so out of the ordinary, not just like normal recovery or not even what they'd seen in, in traditional uh, religious practices in their societies? Millions more uh, people were uh, counted there. I mean, in China and There was an estimate in the year 2000 uh, from from within the China Christian Council of about half of all conversions of the previous 20 years. So like millions of people. And then uh, the house church movements estimates are uh, usually higher than that. So, you know, millions of people who actually changed their centuries of tradition because of an experience to them or somebody that they knew closely.
1: And you were able to track down so many. It seems like firsthand accounts. I mean, you talk to some of these people directly. Are there yes. certain accounts that come to your mind that go, "This is so well attested; it would take more faith not to believe that this miracle occurred."
2: <laughs> well, there there are a lot of them that that could could fit that category. I, I know the one that personally was a turning point for my own way of thinking was. One that I'd heard about from my wife, but but she didn't know all the details because she hadn't been born yet when it happened. It was with her little sister, or I'm sorry, her Mm -hmm. big sister, um, who at the time was two years old, bitten by a snake. She stopped breathing as far as anybody could tell. There was no medical help available in the village. And uh, it took three hours to get to a nearby village where a family friend prayed for, for Therese and she started breathing again the next day she was fine. That was a, a turning and she now has a master's degree. That was a turning point in my own exploration because it was just so close to my own family. But there are others that are, you know, better attested in terms of medical documentation. In that case, of course, there wasn't any because there weren't any doctors. But um Chauncey Crandall is a doctor who attests a, a raising from the dead. Uh Sean George is a doctor who attested has the medical documentation but in his case he wasn't the witness he was the one who was raised um barbara comiskey snyder uh this one is not in the book because i found out about it afterwards
1: hang on a sec dr keener because we're coming up to a break i want to hear about that one because i i spoke about it well we'll we'll talk about it after the break we're talking to dr craig keener and his two volume set on miracles if you don't have it you need to get it If just one of these miracles is true in here, obviously there's something going on that the naturalists and the atheists can't account for. And in fact, if just one spiritual experience in the history of the world is true, then naturalism's false. You realize that? Anyway, we're talking to Dr. Craig Keener. His book, Miracles, two volumes. You need to get it. I'm Frank Turk. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks.
1: Welcome back to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Today we're talking about miracles, the two volume set put together by the New Testament scholar Craig Keener. He's our guest today. Before we get back to uh, Dr. Keener, want to point out Tuesday, March 27th, will be at Mary State University in Mary, Kentucky. Uh, We're doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Everybody is welcome. That'll be at 7 p.m. Then the next night at McCracken County, uh, I think it's McCracken County High School. It's in Paducah, Kentucky. Let me see exactly where this is. Yeah, McCracken County High School, 630 to 830. We'll be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist out there in Paducah, Kentucky. So if you're anywhere near there, that's open to the public as well. So I hope to see you, if you're anywhere near uh, Kentucky, those two venues, they're about an hour apart, I think, Mary State and then Paducah, Kentucky. In fact, Paducah is not far from the Missouri border. So if you're anywhere out in that area, would love to see you. It's open to everyone. Now, uh, my guest today is Dr. Craig Keener. Again, his book, Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And before the break, we were talking about some of the more dramatic and well-attested miracles that uh, Dr. Keener has discovered. And Craig, you were just about to talk about one that I actually mentioned on the air the other, the other day or a couple of weeks ago, because uh, you told this to Lee Strobel, whose new book, the case for miracles is coming out. Uh, in in a week or two, but I would love to hear your account because you actually interviewed the person who was healed and the doctor. So uh, tell us what happened there.
2: Sure. In, in the case of Barbara Comiskey, now, now Barbara Comiskey-Snyder, she had been uh, degenerating physically due to an advanced and very severe form of multiple sclerosis for about 15 years and it had gotten to the place where her diaphragm didn't even work, so she couldn't breathe without a machine. There was a hole in her her neck that uh, was used for that, and I don't understand how this what this has to do with multiple sclerosis or if this was separate but she also had turned blind she said that she was curled up like a pretzel so you know after every couple of months they'd have to pry her hands open to get the dead skin out and 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 so on some people had been praying for her uh, a prayer request had gone out for her i think on moody radio and uh, people sent in a lot of letters. So some of her friends came over and were reading some of the letters to her when all of a sudden she she heard a voice off to the side where nobody was in the room that she could see, well, that anybody could see. She couldn't see anyway. When she heard this voice, it said, my child, rise up and walk. <laughs> and of course, she couldn't move her muscles, but uh, she... She signaled, she could still like move her her eyelids and it was a signal to them to like plug the uh the hole so she could talk, so she could say something, and, and she she said, Go get mom. And so they went out of the room, but she couldn't she couldn't wait any longer. The the compulsion just seemed so strong. She jumped out of the bed, which she shouldn't have been able to do. The first thing she noticed was that her feet were flat on the floor second thing she noticed was that her hands were uncurled. And the third thing she noticed was that she was seeing these things. Her, her friends came back into the room with her mom and they were astonished. And they started jumping around the room together, dancing around the room together. Usually, if somebody is, is healed from something like this, their muscles are still atrophied mm. because you know they haven't walked for so long. Um, the doctors had sent her home to die because you know, they said she won't be coming back to the hospital again. But she actually her muscles weren't even atrophied. She was jumping around and uh she, she ran out to greet her father and uh, one of her friends was like running after her, like, wait, you, you can't do this. You can't running after her with the uh oxygen tank on, on wheels, but <laughs> it, I, I I checked with the, the doctors who had been her doctors at the time. And both of them confirmed that this is just an absolute miracle. There's no other way
1: that it it could have happened. And this is in response to prayer that many people were praying. If I remember the story, as you recounted it to Lee Strobel, uh, this was a response to prayer that went over the radio, I think in uh, Moody Bible Institute, if I'm not mistaken, or the Moody radio network People were praying for her and sent a bunch of letters to her church to say they were praying for her. And this I think happened in 1981. Am I right about that? Yes, and there's been no recurrence ever since. So you have actually interviewed this woman who has been healed and the doctors. Yes. Wow. Uh and this is what now 37 years ago and she's fine. You you
2: you you're good with math. <laughs> I, have to, I I always have to stop and think. But yeah, and, and I mean, this is one of, of of many cases. This one is not in my original book because right. I found out about it afterwards. Um, another one that's not in my original book is is uh, Greg Spencer, who was uh, blind from macular degeneration uh, twenty uh, four hundred in one eye, twenty two hundred in the other. Um, he'd already gone through training for this. And he was at a retreat. He actually wasn't praying for healing of his sight. He was praying for the healing of his mind. And when he opened his eyes, not only had his mind been healed, but he opened his eyes and he could see. And the other people around him have also testified of this. And uh, we have the medical documentation because, you know, he needed medical documentation. Most people don't get theirs, but he needed his because he needed to get off disability and the social security administration didn't believe that macular degeneration could undegenerate.
1: Mm. Wow. And again, we're talking to Dr. Craig Keener, his two volume set miracles, the credibility of the new Testament accounts. It deals with that, but it also deals with modern day miracles. And that's what we're, we're talking about today in a minute. We'll talk about the miracles in gospel and acts, but what other miracle uh, or supposed miracle to, to be a little bit skeptical here, did you find, yeah. That uh, was just—it's kind of hard not to believe in it after you, you you saw the the evidence for it.
2: Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not a medical doctor, so on the medical documentation, I took doctors' words for it. But right. in the case of um, Lisa Larios, that was that was one that really impressed me. She was dying of uh, metastasized cancer of her hip bone, and her parents said and told her she was dying. All she knew was she couldn't walk. She was in a wheelchair. They they took her to a healing meeting. And, you know, whatever you think of a healing meeting, it doesn't actually matter in this case because nobody actually touched her. Uh, it was just in that context where, you know, people were calling on the Lord for for healing. She suddenly felt this urge and she jumped up and started running around. And afterwards, the testing showed not only that she no longer had the cancer, but even where her hip bone had been eaten away by the cancer, the bone had been restored. That mm-hmm. is uh and, and you know, the x rays are actually included in the in the book that um that includes this. So I thought that one was pretty impressive because bones just don't Don't just grow
1: back like that. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Now, there's so many that you cover in the the two-volume set, Miracles, uh, that our listeners are just going to have to get the the books, the two-volume set, in order to see these, because we can't cover it all, obviously, today here on the radio. But I do want to ask you this, uh, Dr. Keener, about the Miracles in Gospels and Acts Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't believe they could have occurred because of David Hume. And I I covered Hume last week on the program, but I'd like you to say a couple of words about what Hume said and why his position uh, doesn't really work.
2: Sure. Um, To super simplify, Hume said that basically miracles are against uniform human experience. So reports of them are not are not credible, um, but of course it's a circular argument because you're arguing from uniform human experience. Today, if he knew about, you know, there are hundreds of millions of people claiming these things, I don't think Hume himself would start with the premise that that's uniform human experience. But even in his own day, I mean, he dismissed, um, he, he gives an example of the healing of Blaise Pascal's niece. She was mm-hmm. at a Jansenist monastery. She was touched with a thorn from the holy crown of Jesus, which of course probably neither you nor I think it really was that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right.
2: um, you know, there's, there's so many relics floating around that time, fake relics. But it was a contact point for her faith. And anyway, she was instantly and publicly healed. The Queen Mother of France sent her own physician to check it out, verified it. And Hume says the, the way the way he addresses it is is simply, he says, well, we know this is better documented than anything we have earlier in history, uh, medical documentation, public, uh, organic. He says, but we know this didn't happen, so why would we believe anything else? And then that's his argument, because mm-hmm. this was at a Jansenist monastery, that they were too Augustinian for the French Jesuits at the time, and they were too Catholic for the... Uh, Protestants who would be more likely to be Hume's readers in in, uh, in England and Scotland. And so he just he got away with just dismissing it. But anyway, um, I, I think Hume's circular argument, people just assume that he established something when it's just circular. And today, it really should not be holding any weight.
1: No, and in fact, you do a great job in the book uh, pointing out how um, philosophically biased Hume is. You you, you in, in the book, and I'm right now looking on page 195, you say, one cannot simply rule out of court the alternatives to one's worldview while claiming neutrality, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hume is not neutral. Yeah. He's just saying these things don't occur because I said they don't occur. Well, wait a right. minute. That's, you're begging the question against it. I also love what you say here on page 197, uh, because you talk about how Hume uh, tries to say that, well, miracles in competing religions cancel one another out. And you say this, and I haven't heard this point before. It's such a brilliant point. You say, most important, Hume's counting the testimonies of different religions against one another is poor logic in any case. No court would throw out two testimonies on the alleged or on the allegation that one is false. Some could be true and others false, but the recognition that some miracle claims may be and in fact are false does nothing to damage the possibility that some other miracle claims may prove true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry, we're up against a break again. We'll get Dr. Keener to comment on his comment right after the break. We're talking to Dr. Craig Keener. His book is called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. You need to get it. It's a two-volume set. It is probably the best book on miracles ever written. So check it out. And we'll be back with more with Dr. Keener in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. college campuses are hostile to the Christian faith and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college that's why we go to college campuses and present I don't have enough faith to be an atheist in the United States and even all over the world when we do this we don't charge students a dime that's why we need your financial support in fact over the past couple of years we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support and 100% of your donations go to ministry zero percent go to building so when you give to cross-examine you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are would you consider giving today thank you so much and thank you so much for what you've done already If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You will not hear this on NPR because we're talking about miracles, not just occurring in New Testament times, but miracles occurring today. And we're talking to the man who's probably written the best book in history on miracles uh, other than the Bible. (laughs) And that is Dr. Craig Keener, K E E N E R, uh, a, a great New Testament scholar who's also written a incredible a book called the IVP Bible Background Commentary on the New Testament. I use that book quite a bit whenever I'm preaching on the New Testament. And then he's written, a, a, Craig, how how long is your Acts? Uh, is your Acts commentary how many volumes is it? It's four volumes.
2: It's about four thousand five hundred pages.
1: Why did you write such a Prayer of Jabez book? (laughs) Come on! Um, 4,000 pages on Acts?
2: I I wasn't intending it to be that long. I just wanted to be thorough. But (laughs) uh, back then, you know, we were using uh, smaller... um, You know, I I couldn't put it all in one word file, obviously. So uh, when the publisher got back to me and let me know how long it was, I was like, oh, that's why it took me 10 years. But anyway... So I That's can't incredible. To, given normal longevity, I can't afford to do that with every book.
1: No, no. Well, and and the the miracles book we're talking about today. You basically have a footnote after every phrase in this book. I mean, it's so well researched. And I, I want to reiterate to our listeners that if just one of these events is really a miracle, naturalism's false. Just one. In fact, that's true. If there's just one spiritual experience in the history of the world, either f- whether from God or from Satan, if just one of them is true, naturalism's false. And now is that possible? Yeah, it's possible that, that they're all false, but it's not likely. And you have some amazing testimonies here in in this book. And before the break, we were uh, briefly talking about uh, David Hume and, and his uh, his point that, well, we can't trust uh, the miracle accounts of the new Testament because other supposed religions have these miracle accounts and they, they wind up canceling one another out. Now here's my question, Craig, are there other miracle accounts from the ancient world that rival the new Testament?
2: Oh, there are plenty of other ancient miracle accounts. Now, most of them are not of miracle workers, unless it's talking about somebody who lived so many centuries before that it's, just the attestation is not good Um, but in terms of contemporary miracle accounts usually they happened at at healing shrines like uh, the temple of Asclepius and and so forth
1: Mm -hmm. and do they have the same kind of uh, attestation in your view that we have for the miracles that occur in the New Testament
2: not for the you know the uh, healers like from centuries earlier, like Asclepius and so on. I mean, we, probably Asclepius isn't even a historical figure. So mm-hmm. uh, those kind of things, no. Later on, you've got uh, Philostratus writing in the early third century about somebody named Apollonius from the first century and saying that he did all sorts of miracles. But some of those miracle reports about Apollonius seem to be actually adapted from stories about Jesus You know, Mm -hmm. the people who think that, no, Apollonius, those stories are earlier than the Gospels. It's like, look, this is written a couple centuries after the Gospels. (laughs) That's the height of historical anachronism to make that the background for the Gospels rather than the reverse. I mean, by the early third century, the Gospels were in widespread circulation. The Christian testimonies were in widespread circulation. Paganism regularly was syncretistic. I mean, they already had lots of gods. They didn't mind absorbing stories from other religions. So, mm. no, uh, in those cases, the attestation isn't so good. In the, in the healing shrines, uh, sometimes I think the testimonies probably do, well, they, they indicate that a number of people got better. Uh, now sometimes that could be from purely naturalistic reasons, but sometimes, it or I should say natural reasons, but Sometimes it was due to, well, sometimes it was probably due to supernatural activity, which raises the question about, uh, is there other supernatural activity besides that of the one true God?
1: Mm, Yes, and that's a question I want to get into, because you do in in the volume two of Miracles talk about even exorcisms and what appear to be satanic signs. How well attested are these accounts, that there are really demons being being exercised or that satanic signs are going on. Do you do you think you have good testimony of that?
2: Mm, yes. Um I didn't want to really want to focus on that because you know if I'm going to stick my neck out, I'd rather stick it out for the Lord and God for the other right. side. But, uh, right. but I but I, I did come across things. Uh, one there's one account in an anthropological journal where the anthropologist he waited until he had tenure before he published this, but uh he was in an African village, and a drummer had died, and it took a few days for people from the surrounding region to come and uh, come to the funeral, so the body is there decomposing already in the heat and uh, he slips into the back of this funeral where people have come from the surrounding region, and they are they're drumming and um you know, celebrating the life of this drummer. And all of a sudden the the body sits up and starts drumming, pounding, (laughs) pounding the drum. Uh, But it's not like a Christian story of, you know, somebody being raised or resuscitated because after, after it was finished, the drummer lay back down and was just dead again. And, the indigenous explanation was that the spirits of the ancestors animated the body. The anthropologist really didn't have a good explanation. All he could think of was that this is a, a mass hallucination that he shared with the others, even though hallucinations normally don't work that way. Right. And he, you can still sense the unease as he describes this experience. It served no purpose for his career, obviously, to talk about this experience. It really shook him up. But yeah, we have that's from an, an observer who wasn't expecting to see something like that. And um, oh, in terms of power encounters and healings, uh, I have a report from Nepal where somebody uh, prayed for these three women who all had gone deaf at the same time. And she, she believed that it was uh, an evil spirit. She cast out the spirit. They all could hear. Uh, I'm sorry, they were mute. And they they all could speak at that time, so um it yeah, otherwise, why would it have all happened at the same time? So we do have a lot of accounts like that, and uh in in one of my appendices uh I think it's appendix B, where I talk about uh you know how anthropologists have documented spirit possession in most cultures. And most of these anthropologists don't believe that these are genuine spirits or actual spirits. Uh, although I think today anthropologists are becoming more open to just reporting indigenous explanations, but, uh, you know, you've got the anthropological reports, you've got some psychiatric reports about these things. And then, um, from missiologists, you have all these accounts of the power encounters where, um, uh, spirits are cast out and, um, Often, mass conversions. I, I talked with a uh, a graduate, uh, a demon graduate, not a demon graduate, but a demon <laughs> graduate, doctor of ministry, from our seminary who's from Indonesia. and he actually sent me pictures of um, a few years ago where he he was baptizing twenty eight witch doctors who had been converted through his his ministry in that in that one uh, season of ministry because they saw that the power of God was greater than
1: their power. Mm. We're talking to Dr. Craig Keener, his book, Miracles, the credibility of the New Testament accounts, not only deals with uh, accounts that the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about, but also deals with miracles in the modern day. And as we've been discussing, even what appear to be satanic signs. Uh, Now, Craig, briefly from a theological perspective, because Paul talks about the fact that, uh, that, there will be satanic signs that, if possible, yeah. might even deceive the elect. How do we distinguish between a satanic sign and, a, and a, say, a true miracle from God?
2: Yeah, I, and, and at this point, is it alright if I if I make some nuance in terms of some distinctions of categories? Oh, please
1: do, please do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like, like
2: in Matthew seven, you've got these false prophets who do signs in the name of of Jesus, and it looks like in the context that some of these signs actually do come from God, but the people who are prophesying in his name and doing miracles in his name still are lost because they are not, uh, they're they're not following, following Christ himself. And then you have like in in 1 Samuel 18, you have um, Saul who is prophesying under the influence of Uh, what I think is an evil spirit, although Mm -hmm. some people uh, interpret that phrase differently. And then in chapter 19, he comes, uh, he's already sent other people to try to take uh, David when David is among the prophets who are prophesying. And then he, he comes himself to try to do it. And like the people he sent before him, he falls down and starts prophesying. In this case, not because the spirit of God is in him, but because the spirit of God is so strong in that place where the prophets are. So, uh, and and then you have people who are like like Samson, who's who's doing evil, and the spirit of the Lord uh, is with him for a time, even while he's doing evil. So, not everybody who does the signs actually is doing the signs demonically necessarily, but uh, but they they may not be serving God. But then you also have the people. Uh, you have things like Exodus chapter seven um, and eight, where you have Pharaoh's magicians right. who uh, ultimately have to realize this is the finger of God that that the God of Israel has more power than than they do, and of course the texts to which you alluded, like Mark thirteen, Matthew twenty four, and Second Thessalonians two, and actually Revelation thirteen also about these these false. Uh, demonic signs and wonders now in terms of distinguishing uh, what's from god and what's from the devil i think one important issue is whom does it honor whom does Mm -hmm. it glorify if it's if it's glorifying and confirming the gospel of christ that's what we we expect for true signs from god if it's glorifying something else or someone else then uh it's it's a false sign or in, as in some of the cases I mentioned earlier, it could be God may have actually worked through a person, but the person, if the is taking credit for it, they're really abusing, abusing that.
1: Right. Hold the thought, Dr. Keener. We're going to come back because we're coming up to a hard break. This is fascinating. Craig Keener is my guest, Dr. Craig Keener. His two-volume set, Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, probably the best book ever written on miracles. You need to get it. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away.
0: If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily.
1: Miracles. Do they occur today? Did they really occur in the New Testament, in the Old Testament? Uh, What about satanic signs? What about exorcisms? What about signs from the other side? Are they real? Why doesn't God heal amputees? Uh, What about the signs of an apostle? Do people have them today? These are all questions we're going to get to, and we've just decided during the break that we're actually going to record another program with dr keener another full hour because this is too fascinating we can't just stop and not cover all these topics so when we're done here we're just gonna record another and we'll air it next week so you can hear more from this great scholar dr craig keener again his two volume set miracles the credibility of the new testament accounts been out since 2011 uh you need to get it and uh it's just about every aspect of miracles and even satanic signs are covered here in this two volume set. Now, Craig, before the break, we were talking about the difference between a true sign from God and a satanic sign. And you were saying that a true sign from God would glorify God and glorify the gospel, whereas a satanic sign wouldn't. Can you continue unpacking the differences there? Sure. And
2: uh, like in Matthew and Luke, we see that Jesus signs are signs of the kingdom. So they attest, uh, God's kingdom. In uh, John, they attest Jesus' person, which ultimately comes down to, you know, I mean, he is the king <laughs> in the kingdom. And so uh, also, they, they show us not only God's power, but they show us his character in terms of, um, you, you can think of this in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' first sign is turning water into wine. <laughs> in contrast to what you have uh, the first plague in, in Exodus is turning water into blood. You know, so it highlights uh, the um, the compassionate nature of of Jesus' uh, signs. That mo- most of them, um, unless you're unless you're a pig or a fig tree, uh, most of them are <laughs> are for your benefit. Right. Uh, and and I think that the uh, what, what what we see about uh, signs, you know, they should glorify Christ. What we see about uh, how you distinguish true and false prophecy in Scripture probably also applies to this. Like in, in 1 John 4, you discern based on whether they confess Jesus as the Christ, Jesus is come in the flesh, and so on. Those are the spirits that are from—that's the spirit that's from God as opposed to the spirit of the world. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the same thing, uh, their confession about Christ— you also have a um, moral criteria for distinguishing whether the prophet is, is speaking for God or not like second Peter two or, uh, in Jeremiah. So, you know, there are, uh, there, there are ways that we can, we can distinguish whether the sign is from God and whether the person who is, uh, or people who are involved in it actually, or serving the Lord.
1: Mm. In fact, uh, I've, we had a pastor uh, years ago who came off the mission field and he told me directly, he said, look, I've seen things on the mission field that are definitely from the other side. They're definitely demonic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And C.S. Lewis said something famous about this. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, and, and, and maybe you have the direct quote, Craig, I don't know, but he said something like um there there are two extremes that Satan wants us to have. He wants mm-hmm. us to have one extreme where we say uh, Satan is doing everything, and the other extreme is oh, this satanic stuff is completely false. Mm-hmm. He 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 talked about us having a, a healthy balance that yeah, Satan yeah. isn't behind everything, but he's he's there and demons are there. Uh, do, do do you agree with that sentiment yeah. that Lewis expressed? So, uh,
2: abso- absolutely. Yeah, I I don't remember the exact wording of the quote, but I, I fully agree with that. I think here in the West, the tendency, at least for most of uh, most people in the West, is that we think, you know, we, we don't think about Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, in cultures where people practice witchcraft or um, people believe in curses, you know, if, if it works once in a while, people are panicked all the time and they get paranoid about it and start it making false accusations about it and Satan can get sometimes more done through um, the false accusations than through the real witchcraft. But
1: it's, yeah. Now you, your wife is from the Congo and uh, you've traveled the world and you've traveled to some places that most Americans haven't been to. In your experience, what have you seen or have you seen these kinds of demonic events or do you have, People who have seen these demonic events—have uh, you interviewed them?
2: Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, I I really prefer talking about God's miracles, but yeah, I can talk about these two.
1: There's, well, just uh, just just, just give that, us one, and then we're going to go to God's okay. miracles, we're going to spend a whole program on that. <laughs> sure. The next. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, actually, let me give you one for my brother-in-law first. Uh, uh-huh. He's a professor at. Of chemistry he's a scientist at the University of, of brazzaville in fact while while we speak right now he's he's out of the country of Congo at a at an international conference for chemistry professors but he also teaches Sunday school and there were three kids in his class, uh, three boys that always stuck together and at one point one of them got very sick and after a couple months he he died. The second one, got sick immediately and after a couple months, no, after a month I think in his case he died and then the third one immediately fell sick and at that point he came to the Sunday school teachers and said what happened, that they had met some people on the street uh, met met somebody on the street who said I'll give you power to become, you know big political figures, just let me take a little bit of your blood with this knife Mm. and uh It was they weren't allowed to tell anybody except to discuss it among themselves. But the the oldest one had a nightmare where this guy came and stabbed him, and when he awoke, he was really sick. And the night that he died, the second one had the same nightmare, and the night that he died, the third one had the same nightmare. And that's when he came to the Sunday school teachers and said, "Please pray for me." And they spent, you know, they took it seriously. They spent nine days uh, praying and fasting during the day and uh, then, then went to his home and prayed for him. And he was he was delivered and is still fine today. But just to illustrate that, you know, that's, that's not easily explained as merely psychosomatic. That no. is something from the other side.
1: We're talking to Dr. Craig Keener, his phenomenal two- volume set on miracles is our subject today, and we've got a lot more to cover and a lot more in the next program. Uh, But Craig, when it comes to um, these accounts that we do find in the New Testament, um, what is unique about them that, that you don't get from other supposed miracle accounts from the ancient world?
2: Oh one thing is the is the nature of the attestation i mean in the case of the gospels these are written within living memory of mm-hmm. of jesus miracles and actually you you also have some of the people who were healed i mean who can testify quadatus who's a bishop in the early second century says that some of those that that jesus raised were alive even until our own time and of course he 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 wasn't born in the second century. He was born in the first century. But you know, maybe people like Jairus' daughter, or um, or the widow of Naam's son. You know, some of the, some younger people probably. I assume it's them. Some of those that Jesus raised from the dead were still alive during Quadratus's lifetime. Mm. Um, so the the attestation is is one issue. Another is the nature of the miracles. I mean, most. Uh, Most people who were associated with anything like that, if it was magic or if it was um, something else, still the nature of the signs was, uh, it included a whole lot of things. I mean, if you look at uh, when, when Greeks talked about supernatural things, it could be a Hyperborean flying on a magic arrow. It could be invisibility. It could be a golden thigh. It could be uh, turning people into animals. It, you know, stuff like that. Uh, te- Pythagoras teaching in two places at one time. Mm. It wasn't so much the the healing and the uh, deliverance and the you know the stilling of storms to protect people or, or feeding hungry multitudes. I mean, it, it it didn't have the same aspect of benevolence. Maybe some things did. But that wasn't the overarching theme of their emphasis. And when some critics today want to say, oh, yeah, just people back then believed in the supernatural, you know, to link those kind of things with the things that you find in the Gospels, the only thing they have in common is their attribution to something supernatural. Mm-hmm. Most cultures in the world have believed in something supernatural. I mean, it's our, our uh, Western academic. Uh, naturalistic way of thinking that is idiosyncratic historically so throughout history most people would not have seen those as all that comparable
1: hmm. we're talking to Dr. Craig Keener and we're going to have to continue this conversation next week Craig because I thought we could squeeze in you know, some, some of the main questions I wanted to ask you but I only got about halfway through them and <laughs> And when you got to book 1,100 pages, you're not going to get through it. So let's pick this up again next week and answer some more questions about miracles, if that's okay with you. Sure. All right, that's Dr. Craig Keener. And again, his two-volume set, Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, is the standard work on the topic. And uh, we're going to, as I say, continue this conversation next week. So, you don't want to miss that. And you also want to check out Craig at CraigKeener.com. That's CraigKeener.com. He has a, a blog there, he has a, a video blog as well. He's got several resources up there. So, check out Dr. Keener at CraigKeener.com uh, for a wealth of information about the New Testament, about theology, about miracles. He's a great scholar and a great man to have on the program. So, we'll have him back next week. Uh, Don't forget, friends, I'll be at Murray State University this coming week and Paducah, Kentucky. Check all that out on our website, crossexamined.org. See you next week.
0: We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our Cross-Examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support.